welcome to our first episode of Sports Science Fun Facts with your host, Tabitha Seiki and Maria Phillips. Just to give you guys a little bit of background about us, we are students at Maryville University. Um, we are exercise science students and we are both in our last year of school. And uh, just for more back background information, I plan on going into physical therapy and Tab, you're planning to go into? Um, going to be working with sports performance somehow. Not quite sure what I'm doing with my life yet. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> really do be a thing. <laughs> it's COVID time. It's a pandemic. We're going to yeah. cross that bridge when we get there. You're correct. That's so it. today I figured we might touch a little bit more on, um, I guess, touch in general about altitude training and what it is and kind of talk about the high and, uh, versus low altitude training and kind of what type of athletes we see during that. Yeah, and so just based on us being an exercise science major, we are familiar with altitude training. I know a lot of people may not be. They, this might be their first time hearing it. So before we really dive into like the nitty gritty details, we'll kind of give you a background information about it. So altitude training is mainly a training that is done just to like most training to just improve your sports performance. Now, like the name says, your altitude training is just gonna involve you training at higher altitudes. Now, usually this training occurs above sea level, so about around 8,000 feet above that sea level. And now this is something that you can't just do like maybe once or twice a week and then be done. This is something that you're going to have to consistently do over a course of several weeks. Yes, and that's correct, Maria. And you'll hear a lot of people talk about high altitude training versus low altitude training and kind of what type of athletes um, you'll see doing more of this training is the endurance athletes because they wanna improve that VO2 max um, in their oxygen capacity as well. Um, so you'll hear a lot about the five, uh, the 8,000, sorry, the 8,000 feet above sea level because that does tend to be the sweet spot and the best spot for those athletes to be training. All right, so with everything and every type of training you do as an athlete, of course, there's always going to be your pros and your cons. Now, Tab, do we want to do we want to talk about the sweet part or the negative part first? Well, I think we should get into the sweet uh, spot first because I mean it's always better to hear the good before the bad, right? Maybe I don't know. Uh, you know, yeah, we might as well start off high. <laughs> so, of course, like we mentioned before, when we kind of did the little introduction for altitude training. The main thing you're going to get beneficial wise is it's going to help you with your endurance and your just overall performance. And the reason why is that because of more, you're getting more oxygen and you're producing more oxygen to increase your VO2 max. And by training your VO2 max at a high level because your body's working more to recover and to perform at those training altitudes, when you do get back to sea level and just do regular, just training or performance or competition, it's easier for you to last longer endurance wise. And then there's also the, of course, a healthier respiratory system. In higher altitudes, there is a reduction in the percentage of oxygen molecules at this altitude, as, as, sorry, as the altitude rises. And this is due to a lesser barometric pressure. So usually when an athlete trains for several weeks at higher altitudes, that body just learns to, I guess, just adapt. And then it reduces your oxygen supply and the respiratory muscles are strengthened. So it's more, 
it's like anything when we as human beings when we're faced in different like environments or different situations of course it's our innate ability to just adapt and so by adapting to living or training in higher altitudes of course it's going to help us involve evolve as better and more actively perform better as human beings and so tab you want to lead us in with the cons here yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when you're talking about altitude, Maria, you always have to know that there's always going to be the chance of altitude sickness or anything like that, um, because it is hard, uh, harder to breathe at those altitude levels. Um, but in a lot of athletes, um, especially if they're training uh, anaerobically, um, you're going to see that they're going to have a harder time recovering. And with this, um, we see people see a lot of times that the athletes have a hard time, um, harder time breathing. It is like a significantly can affect their sleep. And um, it actually can almost sometimes have a, a decrease in the athlete's rate of recovery. And that's all, um, especially probably at the beginning when the athlete's are, bodies aren't used to it and they're trying to adapt. Um, so the main thing is, is just making sure the athlete's heart rates are being monitored, their sleep, mood, and training performance to ensure that, you know, this is doing more benefits than harm to the athlete's performance because ideally, you know, athletes' bodies are going to adapt in different ways because we are all different and um, making sure that the athletes are being monitored to make sure that those um, cons aren't and those drawbacks aren't affecting them too badly. Okay, so in terms of altitude training, you're gonna hear most commonly two methods to approach this. So your first one is your living low and training high. And then the second approach is training, training low, but living high. So I'm gonna kind of talk more about the living low and training high aspect of it. So this method, if you, if you do your own research, you're gonna see a lot of conflicting and controversial um, reviews and articles referring this type of training, just because it's not the best way to go about altitude training. And I'm gonna talk about this a little bit more in just a second. So as in the, t the name of it, you're going to primarily just, as you live now, as we all live now, we're living low because we're on sea level, we're above sea level a little bit, but we're not at that peak altitude training height of 8,000 feet. So you're gonna live low, and then you're gonna take periodic times to train high. Now, the reason why this is controversial and the reason why it's not the best method is because, like I mentioned before, your body needs to adapt to certain situations. Your body can't properly adapt to being put in a new environment if you're only in that new environment for like an hour or two then it's at that point it's your body just trying to readapt each time you go whereas if you spend periodics of periodic a uh, period of time there for a substantial amount like over a course of several weeks your body will adapt and that will be your body's new norm so keeping that in mind if you're living low and you're training high like i mentioned your body doesn't have time to adapt this will continuously each and every single time you're training high is going to put your muscles and your body on stress that it can't adapt to. So not only are you struggling to train 
you also have to deal with the additional stress of being at that higher altitude, which is going to compromise your training. So by you doing that and training high and then still going back to living low, of course, it's going to not only compromise your VO2 max, it's just going to compromise your overall training. You can't, because the reason why is because you can't work as hard as you would at sea level if you're training at high altitudes, because like I said, your body can't adapt. Your body's gonna be focused more on trying to compensate and adapt so you can easily breathe more and be able to function more. That is going to draw away from the performance effect of these. This is why a lot of researchers and strength coaches and just coaches in general just generally don't like the idea of having their athletes just live low and train high because there's just no benefit. Because every single time you're going back to sea level just to live and do your day-to-day -day things, you're not reaping the full benefits. The benefits don't last as long as living high and training low. And I mean, that kind of ex experience too, like, I mean, we live in Missouri and I, done a lacrosse tournament before in Colorado and let me tell you every single one of our the girls had uh nose uh the breathe right strips on their nose because <laughs> the breathing was so hard because we were only there for a short amount of time and we're not used to that type of altitude and like I mean I feel like our team was moving in slow motion because um of the altitude change there yeah I totally agree it's just one of those things where it's if you're not constantly just living in that high altitude environment you're you're going to be you're going to be hurting you're going to be suffering a lot and it's just oh, yeah. rapidly increase. like I bet you can see when you did that tournament like you just look like you probably saw the rest of your teammates and they're just like oh it was slow motion for sure yeah. you probably like this slow motion you probably seem like you know I know you guys can play better than this like you know I'm trying to clear to them at their normal life pace that I'm used to and then I'm just like overthrowing them because <laughs> they're moving a lot slower because it's a lot harder to breathe. Yeah, because so. yeah, you're just not getting that blood, the necessary blood supply that you need to carry that oxygen around your body. And so that's why researchers, and you'll see a lot of articles not recommending this, and a lot of coaches just not recommending this uh, method. And that's why mm -hmm. they would prefer to do the living high and training low. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like, uh, the living high and training low was kind of like they first originally saw some benefits from um, this, which was like a, from a study from an American scientist in like the late 1990s. And from then, like, you know, a lot of Olympic athletes are using it um, because it is allowing them to be able to um, have that and like performance benefit. But um, basically, when you're thinking about uh, living high and training low altitude training you think of more of like yeah you're living you're sleeping um at least for several weeks um especially when you're getting closer to your competition um at altitude like a higher altitude which is going to be that high altitude we talked about with like um eight uh eight feet above sea level and then you're training at the low altitude of four thousand or less um feet above sea level so um at least like I mean, I guess at the most it'd be 4,000. Um, mm -hmm. So basically while you're doing that, you're allowing your, you to train at like, and maintain that intensity. Because like I was saying with all the lacrosse, uh, lacrosse girls at one time, it was, 
their intensity went down because they weren't able to maintain that intensity level that we had when we were in Missouri um, because it is so hard to breathe and oxygen, like obviously your lungs are struggling with that as well. Um, so basically what it does is it allows you to spend, you wanna spend 12 to 16 hours a day at that high altitude level. Um, so your body can get used to it and adapt um, and you're not suffering from altitude sickness, lower plasma uh, volume levels, or um, doesn't affect your sleep as much because your body is able to adapt to that. Um, can you pause it really quick? Mm -hmm. So overall, I mean, living high and uh, training low helps these athletes increase their um, total red blood volume um, cell volume, um, their plasma volume. Along with this, you'll see a big increase in their VO2 max um, as they are able to um, adjust and have um, higher oxygen capacity from living in the higher areas. Um, more so, you do see some benefits with the skeletal muscle function as well um, because they are the muscles are more efficient and this is why they're uh, able to adapt and keep those intensities as because they're getting the oxygen that they need. Um, but this is why you see that more with um, endurance athletes is because your higher VO2 max that you're able to have um, and the increased plasma volume that you see, it helps um, aerobic athletes more so than anaerobic. Um, that's because two is anaerobic, the altitude affects your rest time and everything. So when you're doing the anaerobic training, most likely you're not getting the rest time that you need if you're um, living, or I guess that was more so for if you're living low and training high. So, but overall, I mean, this is what they've used and adapted to, um, especially for the Olympic aerobic athletes, um, especially the endurance ones. But this is what you'll see a lot more people recommend nowadays. Yeah, and it just overall just makes more sense to do that because, you know, the whole adaption wise, at least if you're living high, you're just adapting to just general higher altitudes. And then when you get low, it just gives you more of a better advantage endurance wise because, like you said, what more Olympic and elite athletes do it. So like you're talking like your swimmers and like your marathon runners and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, what do you think about altitude training overall? I mean, I think it's a great method to do, especially if you're like, like I said, like training for like a marathon or like one of those like Ironman, um, I think it's called events where you're like, you know, you're doing like, you're swimming like what, 12.5 miles and doing like a whole marathon afterwards. Of course, something like that, you're going to need a hefty amount of, of endurance. So I think spending a period of time of that training will give you a better, not only just advantage performance wise, but just like normal living wise and just just improving your respiratory function and so I think doing that would be kind of a great way to do it and it's not like I think it's also not like super a super intense thing you can do because you're still going to be training at your normal level but you're just kind of adding an extra effect to kind of give you an extra edge yeah no absolutely like there's another girl across with that lives in Colorado when she comes over I mean I swear she can just run for days um and it's just like distance wise, she outruns everyone just because she basically was in that living high. And then when she comes down to uh, 
over St. Louis, I mean, she's living at the low, or she is living, but like at the beginning, it's like, um, you could see that the benefits of living high and then coming and training low, because she's just able to um, outrun everyone. Yeah. And I also read somewhere that like, compared to like the um, living low and training high, when you're doing your um, living high and training low, those just physiological effects definitely last longer. So like you said, with your teammate who lives in Colorado and comes back to St. Louis, like it may be like a period of time before like you guys get right back into training when she comes mm -hmm. back. But like by living high, those effects last longer. So like that would make the most sense. Like if I said like to train for those like Ironman events, like if you just do like a specific amount of training, like maybe like a month out or a couple months out before the event of just, you know, living high and acclimating and then training low, that's just going to give you a whole, like a major advantage time-wise and just endurance-wise. And it's also just going to help with your overall recovery. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, they say like elevation mask or whatnot. Because, um, I mean, a lot of people can't do this, so they try to find a different, almost like a simulator of um, what they can do. I mean, I, so like in terms of like elevation mask, like I see like a lot of, I think those kind of like gimmicks of like using elevation mask are like. Yeah, I've heard a lot about like how they don't actually, like that's not what they actually are. I mean, it's just a gimmick and a marketing tool to have these athletes that are living at like a lower level to feel like they're actually like. Yeah, and it's. It's it like, has no effect on their performance. There are a lot of studies out there that show that it has no effects on their performance and everything too. It's one of those things like if you actually want to reap the benefits of like an altitude training or living high, like your best bet is to actually do it. It's like anything, like if you get like a, like a simulated thing or like a synthesized, like a synthetic thing, you're, of course you're not going to like really get the real thing and you're not really going to benefit. <laughs> It's yeah, just, you, don't, you gotta actually implement it into your lifestyle and it's like it's one of those that's why I don't like like stuff like that the mask and stuff like that because it's just a gimmick that's been created by like companies that like kind of did like the bare minimum research yeah yeah because I mean if, if no matter what they're gonna find the research that they want to believe yeah yeah it's like coming out looking at it as a general consensus yeah it's like anything if you like get a research team and you're good and if you have a good marketing team and you of course and of course the general audience is probably going to be like the population that doesn't know most about it or probably like for example like they would probably be better to try to sell it to like high school athletes mm -hmm. because, like not to like down or like, uh, down, yeah like not to down at, like at especially like the athletes parents that are pushing them like to do sports and like want them to be the best then that's going to be what they're yeah like a lot of these younger coaches and stuff doing just to without I mean everyone could google that like yeah and then as long as you have the best marketing team and like the best budget of course you can spend it any way and then say oh based on this research it's just mainly a gimmick to like not to down high school athletes I mean they probably will do their research on their own but like I feel like athletic-wise, you really don't know, like, the real nitty-gritty oh, details until, like, when you're close to, like, the end of your high school, like, sports career at going into college, because when you go to college, of course, you're going to have the resources to, like, actual, like, 
strength and conditioning coaches, performance coaches available, just better overall coaches than you probably would in high school. And so this, those gimmicks are just there to like sell to people who just don't know that much about the field. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. That's why it's important to do your research, no matter what you buy before you buy it, make sure you're looking at all the research and not just what you see an add on. So, yeah, but I think that concludes our first episode of our podcast. Um, once again, your hosts are Tabitha Seiki and Maria Phillips. I hope this information was just useful and kind of widen your knowledge about the exercise science field.